0: Welcome to the Prospering Soul podcast. This limited series is all about how to take care of your soul and how to make sure you understand the ways to be healthy and balanced in life. In this series, John Metter, lead pastor of Cross City Church, sits down to explain one of the most important secrets of his own spiritual growth and a detailed explanation of how people change. This is John Metter, and welcome to the Prospering Soul podcast. And uh, we've been walking through what it means to have a prospering soul. And uh, we've had a number of sessions on this, and we're kind of getting into the whole part of the soul that's getting transformed. we're, We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. But what about the will, and what's about the emotions? You know, so many of us are out of balance when it comes to our thought life, our emotional life, uh, our wills, what we want to do, our desires, uh, we're out of balance. In fact, probably one of the most frequent terms I'm hearing today is the term mental health. And the only reason we're using it so much is because we're out of balance. And uh, our emotional roller coaster of a life uh, sometimes is difficult. Uh, we're fearful, we're anxious, we're angry, we uh, are confused. There's so much happening in our, in our world. Our culture is more confused than... Uh, you and I could possibly imagine. Uh, The reality is I was brought up in a world where there were absolute truths and where I came to believe that the absolute truth is the Scripture, the Word of God, and that to veer from that truth is to move into chaos. And that's where our world is. We've rejected absolute truth and we're in chaos. So we've been walking through this series, The Prospering Soul, and we want you to be healthy. We want your mental health to be strong. We want you to be balanced in life. We want you to not get knocked off your feet by temptations or feelings or desires, or by anxiety that comes from uh, thinking about the wrong thing or thinking about a thing in the wrong way. Uh, of course, Second John chapter one verse two is our base verse. It says, "Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers." That means make good progress. In your soul. Uh, Now your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. You have a body. If you're a follower of Christ. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. So that's your body. And that's the spirit inside of you. And the spirit gives life to your soul. Your mind, will, and emotions. So at new birth. This Holy Spirit leads us in such a way. Where we need to come into alignment with. And that mind, will, and emotions. Has an opportunity. You have a choice. To think the thoughts of truth or to think the thoughts that are not truth. And the more in tune our soul is to what the truth is of the scriptures and the truth that the Spirit leads us to, which will be also scripture, the more our behavior will change and our feelings will change. Now, the word soul in the Greek literally is the word suke. It's where we get our modern word psyche or psychology. It's a word that's based on that. The difference between what I'm teaching you and what t- psychology teaches you is that psychology teaches you that your mind-willing emotions are things that can change in and of themselves. It teaches you that you can merely decide to do something different by willpower and your behavior will change. But we know that's not true because we've tried to discipline ourselves. We've tried to do right. We've tried and failed miserably. Psychology cannot give you solutions regarding the change in human behavior. It can only diagnose it. It can put chains on your arms and on your legs. It can give you medication to keep you from doing certain things or feeling certain ways. But it cannot set you free to live for the truth. Now, I'm not going to uh, spend much time talking about what I would consider the downside of psychology. But psychology and psychiatric thinking has not helped us in our culture, which is a culture of confusion. In fact, the source of some of this confusion is giving credence to things that are just not true. That's what the world will do. But truth will set you free. It might make you miserable first, but it sets you free. And the Bible teaches us that the Spirit of God can work in our lives in such a way that our mind, will, and emotions are following the truth. And that way, our will will change and our emotions will change. That's called transformation. When you're born again, you're changed. What changes is the Spirit that lives inside of you. Before the new birth, you had the spirit of death, literally the human spirit, which is very fleshly, very selfish. But in Ephesians 2, the Bible says that now the spirit that is in you is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus actually said this in John 3. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, he that's joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So that spirit in our lives that gives life, to our soul, our mind, will, and emotions is there for us. The spirit leads, the soul must learn to agree, and your behavior changes. Now, that's a summary of what I've said over the last few weeks. We've shown you that there are several weapons you can use in this process of seeing your soul, your mind, will, and emotions transformed. We looked at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Key phrase, that you may prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And the first weapon we examined was transforming your mind by the word of God. That's the battlefield of the mind. And the weapon you use for that is the truth, the scripture, our thought life, to dwell on truth. We took time to learn what the process of a thought was like. Uh, There's a seed, there's nourishment, and there's increase. It happens every time, good thoughts or bad. So the way we control our thought life is to control the seed sown, and to nourish only what we want to reap, a very simple process to a farmer. But that's how the thought life works. And then we also reminded you of a great phrase in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, a very key element. We spoke of in the last couple of sessions. But what about the will? If we could control the mind, the thoughts we think, what about the will? Have you ever been in situations where you knew in your mind what you needed to do, but you didn't want to do it badly enough? We all know what that's like, don't we? We do what we ultimately want to do. Ultimately we do. We do what we want to do. You're here tonight listening to this because you want to be. You may have known that you ought to be, And you may have thought, well, I don't really want to spend time listening to this podcast. Maybe somebody else wanted you to be somewhere else. But you're really listening to this because you wanted to listen to it. Something caused your mind to want to listen. If you didn't want to be here listening to this, you wouldn't do it. Quite frankly, you just wouldn't do it. For instance, if this was uh, a different night of the week and uh, there was a great football game going on, uh, you might not be here because you would want to watch a football game. So you do what you want to do. And one of the things we're going to have to learn in this process of being led by truth and agreeing in our soul so that we can behave that way is not just to learn how our mind is transformed, but how our will is changed. That's what we're going to look at tonight. The first battlefield is your mind. And then once you learn to control the way your mind thinks, the second battlefield is the will. The will. So the word, the scripture, the truth, helps us in that battlefield of the mind. But what helps us with our will? The object of conflict is self-will or submission to the will of God, one of the two. And here's our here's the weapons for changing your will. And as you listen to this, please keep in mind, you may not be practicing this right now. It may sound odd and strange to you. But as I read scriptures, I live long enough, And as I look at the truth and how it's changed my life, I realize these two weapons are extremely powerful to help my will. The two weapons are these, prayer and praise. Now, prayer and praise are very similar. I think you'll learn as we talk through this that when you exercise these two spiritual disciplines called prayer and praise, we learn to alter our wills from that which we would want to do to that which God wants us to do. So we began to take on the want-tos of God, in other words. If that sounds profound, or if you think it's too simple, I want you to look back at some scripture with me. We're going to take some scriptures piece by piece, but I want I want to make a connection at the end because prayer and praise are so much uh, powerful spiritual disciplines that go hand in hand. So the first example that I'm going to give you is in the life of Jesus, and it's in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. I was recently in Israel at the Garden of Gethsemane. What a beautiful place it was, and and it was a place where Jesus did battle with his own will. You know, Jesus fully identified with us in every way except in the way of sin. He was fully human, fully divine. And uh, so he was tempted in all ways as we are. The Bible says yet without sin. So he had to endure the temptation of his will. And just before going to the cross, we have this scene in Gethsemane. i just read the, the passage. Stick with me as I read this. Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go pray over there. And he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Now, if you're into this teaching on the soul, look at his emotions right now, deeply sorrowful, deeply distressed. And then the Bible says, he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, "O oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cut pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I'm going to pause there because this is the battlefield of the will, and what's he doing? He's praying. I'll read on now. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and said to Peter, Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation." The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again a second time he went away and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again. For their eyes were heavy, so he left them and went away and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is probably one of the most spectacular instances of prayer that changes the will that I see in Scripture. It's not that Jesus wasn't going to die on the cross. It's that he was struggling as a human being to die for the sins of someone other than himself. Jesus was sinless. He did not have to die for the sins of mankind. But he wanted to do his Father's will, and he was willing to lay his life down. So I could take weeks to talk about this, but this is a prime example of how prayer affects your will. So let me make a statement, first of all, and then back it up with Scripture. If you have very little prayer life, you will have very little will to do any of the other things that God wants you to do. If you have very little prayer life, you will not have an appetite for living out the truth, even though you may know it. If you have very little prayer life, you'll find yourself struggling in a desire to do any of the things that God calls you to or to do any of the things that are right. You'll struggle with doing wrong things because you haven't battled self-will. On the other hand, if you learn to have the kind of prayer life God calls us to have, then you'll learn the kind of discipline that changes and transforms your will in the same way that your mind was transformed. Now, I know this by example, the more I pray, the more I desire to do it. And the more I desire to do the things of God, the less I pray, the more I struggle with desire to do the right things. Think about that. Think about how that may have affected your life and your willingness to pray or your lack of prayer life and your willingness to do the wrong things. And you kind of see it creep in as a lack of discipline when you don't pray and you find yourself also in a parallel lack of discipline to do other things right, right? When we're not willing to spend any time with God in prayer, we're unable to desire or want the other things of God. So let's just go back to that passage I read where Jesus was in that Garden of Gethsemane. Let me ask you some questions, and I'll help you with the answers. First of all, what was Jesus' admonition here for his disciples? He told them two things. He said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Why did he say that? He goes on to say that the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. So let's think about that. Jesus is going to Gethsemane, knowing that the cross is in front of him, and knowing that the Father's will was for him to die on the cross. And yet, because he was fully God, he was willing to go all the way. At the same time, he was fully man and fully identifying with our inability to want to do, sometimes, the things of God. So he went into that garden, not desiring to rebel, but with the same struggle that you and I have, when we know what is right and we don't do it. The Bible says in Hebrews that we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tested in all ways as we are yet without sin. That's where Jesus was tested. It's one of the places. And what Jesus is showing us is that the struggle to obey God, to want to follow God all the way, to want to live by the truth, you can do it by learning to pray. And he says to his disciples whom he's leading, and remember these disciples have told the Lord that we'll follow you anywhere, even if it means death. He said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So his disciples, he said to them, look, I'm here because I'm going to win the battle before the Father, and I'm going to want to go and die on the cross. And if you want to follow me, you better watch and pray. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Now Jesus knew them so well, and he knows us really well. Our spirit is willing. Of course, if you have the spirit of God inside of you, of course, you want to do the right thing. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh would be our mind-willing emotions in this case. They don't always fall in line. So Jesus said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So what's the truth here? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, Jesus says, watch and pray. It's the tool of prayer to Almighty God. To bring your own body to the willingness to obey what the Spirit is leading you to do and to say. So what's the remedy for a weak spirit? It's prayer. What's the remedy for overcoming our own self-will? It's prayer. Notice what Jesus was doing at the time. He was praying. Three times he came to the Father. Each time he made the same statement. He didn't say it once or twice, but three times. And Jesus was basically saying, Lord, Don't let me do what my own body would have me do, what my own will would have me do. Let me do what you would have me do. And I can't give you all the theological implications in this podcast uh, because it would take a long time to how God the Son could have a conversation with God the Father and actually struggle in that way. But I can tell you that he dealt with it to identify with us fully. And if you want to know the way to follow God all the way, If you want to know the way to follow truth all the way, then look at the process Jesus took in following God all the way. Here's part of it right here. The way you win the battle over your will and let your will become God's will is through the act of prayer. Jesus' conclusions at that time of prayer was, Nevertheless, your will be done. In other words, he surrendered in prayer to do what the Father wanted him to do. And on the other hand, where were the disciples? They were sleeping, and they didn't stay with him all the way to the end. They're the ones that denied him later on because they really were not surrendering their wills in prayer. So the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, and prayer changes your will. I hope you see that point. Prayer is how we condition the will to do the right thing. So prayer life is critical. Now, some of you listening to this say, I don't really have a prayer life. I don't know what that means. I don't understand how to get one started. I'm just going to give you three words that will help guide you in having a prayer life. Because sometimes we don't start praying until we're desperate or because we really all of a sudden want to pray, whether by desperation or we have a spiritual moment and say, I really need to pray. Um, But basically, prayer is spending time with God that you're not spending with anybody else. And prayer is talking to God when you're not talking to anybody else. And the way I develop that is using three words. First of all, I start with discipline. If I want a prayer life, I just make up my mind and discipline myself to create margin in my life to pray. Uh, It's not my nature to get on my knees and stay there for a long time, and it's not your nature either. Uh, Some people say it's not my desire to do nothing, and that's what some people think prayer is. It's my desire. I'm kind of a do-it guy. I want to get up and do something. Do something about it. I want to get up and act in some way. But God says, pray. If I'm ever going to pray, then I need to discipline myself to do that well. And I can't start at the point of desire. I must start at the point of discipline. Now, Some of you out there are super spiritual and you're probably thinking, well, I always want to pray. Well, I'm afraid that I'm not one of those guys. I don't always want to pray. Now, I do pray. Often, I pray without seizing day in and day out. As the moment arises, as needs come up, I'm dependent upon the Lord. And I've learned to pray without ceasing. But I can tell you this, that I'm, I'm not the guy that wakes up in the morning and can't wait to get on my knees. Maybe you do that. Maybe you're further along than me. I have to discipline myself to pray over a period of time. But guess what happens? When I discipline myself to pray on a regular basis... I began to desire more prayer. That's the second word I want to give you. First of all, discipline and then desire. Have you ever noticed that when you discipline yourself to do the right thing, later on you began to desire to do it with more regularity? Now, with this issue of prayer, I'm not talking about praying one hour or two hours. I'm talking about praying at all. Start somewhere. And as you begin to cultivate a prayer life, Just simply make bullet points for the things that you're continually asking God for. Things that you're asking God to help you with. And if it's your own soul that you're praying for, by all means, ask God to help you with the way you think. With your emotions. With your will. But discipline yourself to do that and do it regularly. And make just bullet points. I use my notes on my uh, iPhone to do that. And as I see God answer prayer from time to time, I just update those notes and, um, and I give thanks to him and I move on. So discipline yourself, first of all. Pray about yourself, pray about those that are around you, but realize when you're doing that, you're spending time with God. It's kind of like a marriage. Uh, there's not always that desire to be the sweet, loving spouse to your mate, but there's an understanding that is God's will, and that is that you have a marriage, you need to discipline yourself to be on your best behavior, and to give yourself to that relationship. It's really, really important to do that because you're cultivating something that later on builds great desire and eventually great delight. So you begin with this discipline, not desire. If you begin with the desire, you may never do it. That's why some of us never do what we need to do because we wait for a desire to do it. So first of all, begin with discipline because you know you need prayer and you want your will to be transformed. You want to follow Christ. You want to do the right thing. And so discipline yourself. And then it begins to be something you desire. And then thirdly, after desire comes the fruit of all this, and that's delight. That's how you begin a prayer life. Discipline, desire, delight. Before long, you begin to really enjoy spending time praying to God, spending time with God, spending time in the scripture, and you begin to delight in how he answers prayer. I wish I could take the time to talk about all the answers to prayer I've seen the last two or three years. But I would very quickly say at the same time, I have lots of answers to prayer. I have lots of prayers that are still unanswered. I'm still waiting on God to give me direction on certain things. I'm still waiting on God to touch people's lives that I pray for on a regular basis. But because I discipline myself, I began to move into that area of desire and eventually I delight in. In being able to walk with God in that way. So discipline your mind, then your desire to do His will will increase, then you delight to do His will. That's really how it all works. That's true of prayer. It's also true of praise or worship. I, I call these two things synonymous because in both of these, we are directing our words to God And in both of these, we're expressing our heartfelt emotions and feelings and thoughts to God. It's a big deal. I remember a number of years ago, I was in a deep valley in my work, and uh, it seemed like I had opposition on every side, and it seemed like I was struggling with depression at the time, uh, and at, at least discouragement, ready to give up. And I look back at that, and I'm so glad I didn't give up back then. It could easily have been an action I took. But uh, the reason I didn't give up is because I began a practice of worship using uh, my car and the, uh, the, the, the music player in the car. And I would put on some worship music and I would just drive around. I don't know how many miles. I don't know how many gallons of gas I used. But I would just drive around worshiping God and focusing on His character. And as I did that, Many of the songs I sang were spiritual warfare songs, like Mighty Warrior, Mighty God. Um, just so many of those songs encouraged me that he was the victor in my life. But I, I made it through that oppression and that depression, and I made it to the other side because I was setting my mind on things that are above. I was allowing my, uh, my emotions and my will to be consumed in the goodness of God. So it's really, really important that prayer and praise take place in order to change your will. That's how it's transformed. By the time I would get through with a series of miles that I would drive and singing worship songs to him, I was ready to go to work. I was ready to to do what God called me to do. So if you look at praise for just a moment, what that means, look at Psalm 45, David speaking here, I think you're really going to like this one. Psalm 42 verse 5 says, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disquieted? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him the help of my countenance and my God. He says two things here. He says, "I, I do this for the help of his countenance. In verse 11, he says, for the help of my countenance. And what he's saying is, even though I may be struggling, even though I may be disquieted in my soul, I may be anxious about things, and my mind, will, and emotions may be in turmoil. But when I begin to praise God, I get the help of God's countenance. He's not worried. He's not anxious. He's not fearful. And it changes my will and my perspective. It changes what I am about. He's talking about praise here. Now, let me just speak a a pretty clear word to you as a pastor And let me tell you, though, the neglect of worship and the neglect of the word on a weekly basis is dismaying to this pastor, not because it bothers me to see people skip church, although every pastor, if honest, would say that it does, but because of what you miss. You miss the influence of the word, which affects your thought life. You miss the influence of worship and prayer, which affects your will and your emotions. And I wonder if most of our struggles can't be tied to our inconsistency in worship and prayer and the word. I believe there's a key there. If this is the way we get victory, why do we fight so infrequently? Why do we make it such a small part of our life instead of letting it be a big part of our life? So let me just get into a little bit about praise tonight. Let me just say that everything you do is an act of worship. Either an act of worship for yourself or an act of worship to God. Everything you do is an act of worship. If you choose not to follow God, you're worshiping yourself. If you choose to think the thoughts that you shouldn't be thinking, if you choose to think thoughts that are not true, you're, you're going your way. You're not surrendering to Him. If you choose not to obey God, that's the worship of yourself or your desires. So you've made a choice. You've chosen to worship yourself instead of God. Now, this is not just an act of worship in a worship service at church. This is the way you live life. And basically what we're saying is, God, I'm not sure I want to do that. Not what you're asking me to do. I feel real comfortable though doing what I want to do. So you begin to worship yourself. You don't really say I am my own God, but you have kind of fallen into that. But when we really begin to focus on praise and learn what it is and focus on prayer and be occupied with it, we're saying not my will, but your will be done. And I would say this to you, when you don't feel like praying or praising God, that's when you need to do it the most. And when you don't feel like asking him to help you, that's when you need to do it the most. When I was in that battle with anger, I would stop and I would pray, God, I do not want to be angry. What is my alternative? And he gave me one every single time. Whenever I was nearing uh, discouragement and depression, I would say, God, I do not want to be in this valley. What do I need to do to get out of it? And I began worshiping him, and it pulled me out of it. You know, um, you should never get tired of praise because praise really transforms your life, and it becomes one of the most important things you can do. Uh, praising the Lord, think, think about this with me for a moment. Praising the Lord contradicts everything the sinful man strives for. A sinful man strives for self-will, but praise and worship strives for God's will, pleasing him. Praising the Lord also contradicts everything the demonic will strives for, Satan and his demons. They're very real. And they want to drag you away from God's character, drag you away from God's countenance. So when I talk about praising God, I'm not just talking about singing songs. You can sing songs and still not praise the Lord. You know that. But praising the Lord means focusing on him giving your full attention to him and adoring and loving him with your heart and your soul and your mind, it, it means completely falling in love with the Lord and expressing that to him. I cannot continue with a rebellious will when I am adoring and loving God verbally, openly, outwardly, enthusiastically. If I'm willing to enthusiastically praise the Lord and worship him in an uninhibited way, the way he wants me to worship him, then my old sinful will can't continue praise repels that old sinful will it changes it if you've experienced coming to a worship service where you knew you wanted to worship had the desire to do it but the circumstances were bad or the music might not have just been right or you might just have had an argument with your spouse on the way to church or something like that you didn't feel like worshiping, but you had to break through that barrier and focus on him by an act of your will that's what transforms your will Doing the right thing, even when you don't want to do the right thing. So, let me cause these connections here with prayer and praise as it battles self-will. Several statements. Both prayer and praise cause the abandonment of self-will. You can't pray without abandoning self-will. You can't worship without abandoning your self-will. Real prayer involves abandoning self-will. That's why in prayer we're transformed. Number two. Prayer and praise cause submission to God's truth. As I said, we know we're supposed to pray because our mind recognizes that God told us to pray, but how do you learn to praise the Lord? How do you learn to pray? You're just obeying what God says, even though you may not have all the secrets to it. So we need to get those truths down. When we understand what they say and begin to obey them, it causes submission to God's word. Number three, it causes the soul to be trained in obedience. My soul is trained in obedience. When I do things, it doesn't necessarily want to do. My body doesn't necessarily want to do it. There are times I'm extremely frustrated and upset and feel a burden, and I don't want to keep going that way. And Often, I get in my car and start praising the Lord and worshiping, and, and it's safe for me to sing as loud as I want to in my car with the windows rolled up. It doesn't bother anybody. Uh, in the car because nobody's in the car. It doesn't bother the driver next to me. But when I do this, my will begins to change. It just does. I can't tell you all the theological reasons for it. It just changes. Or if I get on my face and pray to God, my will will begin to be transformed in obedience. I'm I'm just going to do what God wants me to do because I've already battled that in prayer. Then the fourth statement, it causes the soul to be directed by truth and by relationship Instead of self will, this is what we want. We want truth to direct us, not feelings. We want truth to direct us, not culture. So, I've said a lot today about transforming your will, and I just want to encourage you that God is in this battle with you. And He's given us the Word of God to fight uh, on the battlefield of the mind, and He's given us prayer and praise to fight on the battlefield of our will. In the future, we'll be talking about the battlefield of our feelings, our emotions. And until then, uh, just keep on going and keep on trusting God to build a soul in you that will prosper.